0: Well, let's start the series with a question. Are you looking forward to heaven? Now, I'm sure if we had a chance to have some interaction, I would get a whole variety of responses. I know some people would say, yes, absolutely. I'm ready to go. Take me now. I know who you are. You're so ready and you believe in heaven and you're excited to get there. But then there'd be others that would say, you know what? Honestly, I'm not sure. I've just been so busy. I haven't given it a lot of thought and that's okay. That's good to have that honest kind of response to that question. There's actually a growing population in Canada and in North America in general that would uh, not even believe in heaven, even within the church today. And even those that might believe in heaven, many, many people just think it would be very, very boring. And so there's not a lot of incentive to want to go there. Well, when you think about heaven as being a a place of harps and worshiping God with song for all eternity or floating around on clouds, that doesn't sound very exciting at all, especially if you don't play an instrument and can't sing or are kind of afraid of heights. That's not very appealing. And I think the church is partly to blame for our apathy about heaven. I mean, we just don't talk about it very often. And when we do talk about it, it's kind of bland. It's nothing like the extraordinary images that we find in scripture. And so we relinquish the teaching on heaven to Greek philosophers, or maybe to pop culture movies, or maybe even to those who claim to have had a near death experience and have come back to tell all about it. Their lives just seem far more exciting and their stories seem far more intriguing than what we find in the ordinary sermon on heaven in the church. Even Morgan Freeman in a white room has much more appeal than a sermon on heaven. And yet that was not the reaction of the early church, of the early followers of Jesus to the topic of heaven. The Roman catacombs, which contain uh, many burial sites of the early martyrs, they also contain drawings and inscriptions all about heaven, all about the assurance of heaven, all about the wonders of this place. They they involved drawings and depictions of joy and happiness. And they were looking forward to going to heaven, even as they faced death. They believed in heaven so much, they were so convinced of it that they even considered that the suffering of this world was not even worth comparing to the glory that would be revealed in them. Speaking in the third century, one of the church fathers, Cyprian, he said this, Let us greet the day which assigns each of us to his own home, which snatches us from this place and sets us free from the snares of this world, and restores us to paradise and the kingdom. Anyone who has been in a foreign land longs to return to his own native land. We regard heaven as our native land. Do you have that kind of longing for heaven? The kind of longing for home? Maybe not. And so here's my invitation. My invitation is to journey with us over the course of this month and just see what the Bible has to say about heaven in the hope that we can together stir up a kind of hopeful expectation of the life that is to come. So where do we begin? Well, let's begin with another question, a central question when it comes to the topic of heaven. Where is heaven? That's essential, and lots of people ask it. If we're heading on a journey, it's good for us to know where the destination is. So where is heaven? When when we ask people, where is heaven, how do you think people respond? How do you respond? I think most of us respond by pointing up. That's the normal response when we say, where is heaven? And and that's understandable. Even from a biblical perspective and the biblical narrative uh, gives us the impression of heaven being up. I mean, the dove descended from heaven onto Jesus at his baptism. Jesus ascends into heaven and he leaves his disciples staring up into the clouds. Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, he lifts his eyes to heaven. And he prays. And so we have lots of references in the Bible about heaven being up. But here's where we have to be a little bit careful, Uh, because while for, for us, heaven is usually associated with the place we go when we die. But in the Bible, that word heaven can have a number of different meanings. Sometimes when the word heaven is used, it refers to the realm of the clouds. We would use the word sky. Sometimes when the word heaven is used, it's used in reference to the realm of the stars. We would use the word space. But here's what I want to get the the point across today. The most important thing is that heaven in the Bible is most often used and often used for the realm of God. That's the most important thing we want to capture at this time. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. Just let that sink in for a moment. Let all the other ideas about heaven kind of drift away and just hold on to this truth. It's revealed in scripture that heaven is the dwelling place of God. When Solomon was dedicating the temple, he said a great prayer, and it's found in second Chronicles in chapter six. Listen to the words. He said, hear the supplications of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place Hear from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. Jacob, when he has an encounter with God at a place that he later calls Beth El, which literally means the house of God. He has this to say, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. There's that understanding. Heaven is God's dwelling place. Actually, in the Bible, we find two great realms talked about. We find the realm of the earth. This is the dwelling place of humanity. And then we also find the realm of heaven, which is the dwelling place of God. And in the Garden of Eden, we find the complete and perfect overlap of those two realms, the realm of heaven and the realm of of earth. And in that, in the garden, we find God coming down and walking with Adam in the cool of the day. That's the overlap that we find in the beginning. But then sin enters and when sin enters, the humans are expelled from the garden and there's a divide between the realm of God and the realm of humanity, between heaven and earth. That's why we find in the old covenant time, in the old Testament, the creation of the tabernacle and then the temple because these were instituted to kind of capture a sense of the glory of God residing in the midst of his people. And so when people wanted to meet with God, they came to the tabernacle, they came to the temple. It was the house of God. It was a Beth-el. It was a gateway to heaven. But there's a catch. You couldn't enter into the house of God unless you first confronted sin. You had to deal with sin. And so the whole sacrificial system was a reminder of this division between the realm of God and the realm of humanity. And in order to enter into the realm of God, to the Beth El, we needed to deal with our sin. And so the tabernacle and the temple, these were temporary places, temporary overlap of heaven and earth. And that's important to pick up. Well, let's fast forward to the New Testament, because when Jesus shows up, something changes. The Apostle John uses very specific language when he talks about Jesus. He says that the Word, Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He became the Beth-El. He became the gateway to the realm of God. That was what's so important about Jesus. Heaven literally came down and glory filled our souls in the person of Jesus Christ. And so really that is the ultimate plan of God. If we fast forward past the resurrection into the final chapter, to the end of days, we find something that's amazing. We find that it's not so much that we go up to heaven. It's that this realm of God, heaven comes down and is reunited with the renewed earth so that the realm of God and the realm of humanity are one. We find this in Revelation chapter 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. That's heaven in the ultimate sense. So the final state of heaven will be God's sacred place and our purified space united as one glorious whole. But the idea of a far off future reunification of heaven and earth was actually little comfort to the disciples as we find them in John chapter 14. They were beginning to understand that Jesus was about to leave them and it was sounding very ominous and they were getting quite anxious about it. You see, they didn't want fancy houses. They didn't want huge properties. They didn't want mansions in glory. What did they want? They wanted to be with Jesus. And so Jesus reminds them of the Father's house. That's the image he gives them in this passage. The Father's house, Beth-el, the house of God, the dwelling place of God, heaven. And he makes them a promise. He says that he would go, and he had to go, in order to make room for them. And he actually did this at the cross. And then when the time was right, he said, He would come and welcome them to himself so that where he was they would be also that's the phrase we want to hold on to and that's where heaven is now with jesus in the father's house if we ask the question where is heaven simple answer with jesus that's what we find in the scripture and that's what jesus reveals to his people i love what william barclay says in reference to this passage he says When Jesus said, there are many abiding places in my Father's house, he may simply mean that in heaven, there is room for all. An earthly house becomes overcrowded. An earthly inn must sometimes turn away the weary traveler because its accommodation is exhausted. It is not so with our Father's house, for heaven is as wide as the heart of God and there is room for all. Jesus is saying to his friends, don't be afraid. People may shut their doors on you, but heaven will never shut you out. That's the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples who were facing anxiety about not only the future of Jesus, but their own future as well. And so to be in heaven is to be with Jesus. This was very clear to the Apostle Paul, who said things like, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He even went so far as to say, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So I think we need to shift our thinking when we come to the question, where is heaven? Instead of searching for a kind of spatial point of reference or a physical reality, instead of wondering is heaven on some far planet or is heaven in a parallel universe or "Is, is heaven even up? We need to shift our thinking to be content with a relational reference to heaven. It is with Jesus, because that's what Jesus reveals to us. So then what happens if we die when we believe in Jesus? Well, we go to be with the Lord. We go to be with Jesus. Sometimes the Bible calls this being asleep in the Lord. That's the term of reference that we have. And so the promise of Jesus is that there is room for us in the Father's house a place for us to wait for the resurrection and the final reunification of heaven and earth. Hank Hanegraaff, sometimes known as the Bible Answer Man, he said this, In my Father's house, Jesus assures his followers, are many waiting rooms. These are not the final destination. They are the temporary resting place ahead of the ultimate new creation when heaven and earth will be reunited as one. Now, these words might not stir up a lot of passionate excitement in the followers of Jesus and maybe not even in us today, but that wasn't really the intention of Jesus at this point. Jesus wanted to simply comfort and assure his followers with these words. He wanted them to know that they would be together again. That was his promise. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. I think during this period of COVID, uh, we've learned the value of simply being together with the people that we love. Uh, many have actually experienced a profound loneliness during the season. Uh, some of us actually caught COVID and had to be completely isolated uh, during these last 15 months at some period. Many of us even lost out on trips that we were looking forward to, destinations that we love, but could no longer get to. But I've come to realize that our longing is not so much for those places. It's not so much for the destinations, but our deeper longing is for the relationships that have been fractured, the relationships that have been distanced because of COVID and because of the restrictions. So our greater longing is actually to be together with one another without the restrictions. And I think that teaches us something of the longing that was in the disciples when Jesus spoke these words in John chapter 14. The promise that Jesus gave to his friends was not about a destination. It was about the continuation of a relationship. He said that where I am, there you may be also. That's the where of heaven. So let me end with the question. Do you have your room booked?